Welcome back to She is Becoming. We are your favorite podcast bringing you topics from God's Word from a multi-generational perspective. You can find all of our episodes on all the major podcast platforms and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at She is Becoming Podcast to catch our weekly prayer requests and giveaways. I am your co-host, Delaney, and I am here in the studio with my co-host, Bev. We have recorded multiple episodes today. We have. You, you, you're, you're going strong, though. We're on yeah. a roll. Yeah. My cardigan's on inside out. I look like I was attacked by a bear, and I'm drinking... <laughs> Coffee at 5 o'clock yeah, at night. Yeah, <laughs> so we're not okay. No. <laughs> but it's going to be all right. It is. And, and we want to start out with our signature question. Okay. Can you think about it? My question is... What attribute of God has been impacting your life recently, Delaney? Okay, usually I do think about these a little bit before, but I actually have not. I think the one that has been impacting me the most recently has been through uh, me and Jax are going through the Bible, and we're right now in the part of Exodus where we're learning about all the specifications of um the holy tent and the holy of holies and the ark of the covenant and the it's tabernacle. Like, yes and it's like all of these you know 50 gold loops and the acacia wood and all of this stuff <laughs> it's a lot Detail. um but just what that represents about god um that he would have a place that needed to be perfect and to exact qualifications and to with an exact structure and um just how powerful he is in that and how holy he is and how he had this place called the tabernacle that was set apart from us. And so I've just been thinking through that and just having conversations with Jax about it, which is a hard conversation to have with a four-year-old. But he can, what Jax can wrap his head around is that God's presence and God's glory means something. And that, um, yeah, it's just been interesting to talk about holiness and explain it to a child because um, it's such a big concept, but then explain how holiness is so important to the gospel, because if Jesus wasn't holy, you know, he couldn't have died for our sins. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's been the thing that's been impacting me the most recently, just because I've been going through it every night with Jax, is just yeah. the holiness of God. Well, you know, when you have to break it down to a child's level, yeah, that's when you really start to understand it. I think it's actually helpful sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like, think these Sunday school teachers have had a good secret for many years. Yeah, that that's where they really learn scripture. And is, you get to the breaking root. it down to kids' levels. Mm-hmm. It's so insightful. So parents, you got an opportunity there. And even thinking about like we've been talking about the law, and when you're talking about the law to a four-year-old and getting into all of these all these depths and nuances it's so great because you 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 have to really go back to what the law points to and what the law represents that we need christ we need somebody who fulfilled the law and so that's even helpful for me like as an adult like thinking through i'm like okay Jax, this is what the law said but why do we need this like let's get back to the root of what this interesting passage mm-hmm. means so well yeah. that's great you're you're not only teaching him you're telling him why yeah, trying to. Yeah. We're working on it. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Some days when you're tired, it's just because, <laughs> because I said so. Mm-hmm. Well, this is an interesting topic today, Delaney. We're going to get a little uncomfortable, and if you have little ears, children nearby, you might want to put your earbuds in mm-hmm. and know that this is going to be on, uh, we're going to be talking about sexuality, sexual immoral, uh, immorality, and other issues in our culture today. Um, the normalizing of pornography, the perversion of sexuality, the disdain for God's design for sex. Although not new, really, the terms have changed. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
we are going to just talk about a few of these terms, and that's very helpful, especially for me. I'm 68. I'm kind of of that generation where I don't hear these terms or I'm not on social media much to see them as much. But I know many of you younger women, like you, Delaney, mm-hmm. and youngers, are very familiar with some of these terms. But we need to be educated to know exactly what's going on in this sexual realm and what these terms mean. And then we're going to go into a lot of different topics on the topic of sex today. Yeah, it's really important to know these things because these words and these terms that we're going to talk about here in a second um, have become celebrated and normalized. Like it is, these things are all over TikTok. They're all over Instagram. They're all over Snapchat. And this is what our culture is talking about and teaching our kids. And so sometimes I feel like as Christians, we can just kind of um, shy away from these harder conversations because they're hard, they're heavy. We don't want to hear it, but I I think we kind of do need to get our head out of the sand and just engage um, with these and have these conversations. But to do that, we do need to have like just a basic um, understanding of what is being taught on these, uh, specifically these platforms. So um, I'm going to go over a couple of words and this is a lot of this is in regard to, you know, sexual orientation and what is being um, promoted on all of these social media platforms. So we're going to go by, just go through these one by one. I'm just going to give you the educational definition just so that you can be aware um, and just see, you know, what's going on in our culture today. So the first one would be polyamory. Um, This would be a romantic sexual relationship between multiple persons. Um, And this is maybe where you have heard of a word called a thruple where three people are in a relationship. You know, I heard another term for the same thing was called a circle. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. I've heard that too. Mm -hmm. And again, so what we're talking about, I mean, there's so many terms for these. So we're we're just giving you, you know, kind of the ones that at least I have heard the most because I'm usually on TikTok more and those kind of things. So, um, but I mean, there are so many terms. Yeah, there are. And it's very confusing, but, it, mm-hmm. but hopefully this will, this will give them a, a little bit of an understanding of some of these, mm-hmm. especially for my age group. Yeah. The next one would be polygamy. So this would be, um, one man marrying and having separate relationships with multiple wives. There's ethical non-monogamy, which is when one person dates multiple people separately, but everyone is informed. So it's not like a cheating situation. The next word would be fluid. So this means that um, sexuality, sexual orientation is subject to change. Pansexual, which means you can be attracted to anyone of any sexual orientation. Homosexuality would be um, same-sex attraction. Asexual, which means little to no sexual attraction to anyone of any orientation. And bisexual means romantic and emotional attraction to male and female. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's lots of words. And I think there's actually more than (coughs) 72 of these. These are just the ones that I hear most often. And I know we don't like to talk about these things at church and we don't like to talk about them in the church because um, this is not God's design for sex. And we are going to get into what God's design is. But again, we, we need to be informed and we need to be able to engage with culture. And you honestly listening might have kids or kids friends who are struggling with one of these things or you know you can have a situation like with my kid and his friends they come back from the playground and they're telling me that you know what they're asking me what a lesbian lesbian is and just all of these things so it's important that we at least stay in the know absolutely and there are so many terms about these sexual orientations and it's always changing I know Facebook has how many hundreds of them yeah 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 of designations that you can take for yourself. 
But these are the ones that, you know, we've heard the most lately anyway. And we want to be informed about this. Um, more than that, we want all of us to understand what the Bible has to say about sex. Yes. Today we're going to be walking through Scripture as our authority on these weighty subjects, and we will be talking about, first of all, purity in a toxic purity culture, and Delaney will explain what that is, the redefining of God's design for sex, so we'll go into that as well, and then the culture's lies about sex, and there are a lot of them, and then why sex matters to God. So Delaney, start us off with purity in a toxic purity culture. I'm not even sure I understand what that is. Yeah, we'll talk about it because it can be pretty broad. <laughs> but I mean, just starting off, I've, I, I've been pretty candid. I think that I did not wait um, to have sex while I was married. I did not live in God's design for sex. You know, I got pregnant at 19. So I think that that's been made pretty obvious. And it's something that I'm really open about and am willing to share my story about. But um, today, I will definitely be coming from that angle of how you know, this has really just personally impacted me and I've experienced a lot of pain because of um, my choices and really have experienced a lot of what, you know, this quote unquote toxic purity is that has really just become a movement all over, um, you know, the church and Christianity. Um, and in some of my experiences learning about purity from the church, there has been just this level of triteness when it comes to purity. Um, it's this whole idea that purity is the ultimate goal for a woman. It's the greatest gift she could ever give her husband. And if she doesn't wait till she's married, she should be ashamed and she should feel dirty. And um, there has been some of, there has been this toxicity from the church around this as a whole. Not, I'm not just, you know, putting this on Grace Church. I'm just saying in the cultural, in the church movement, um, there has been this. And I've heard this from quite a lot of other people. And so I can really just empathize with this. And you know, to teach purity from this kind of angle can is really wrong and harmful. And it's harmful because it's teaching us the wrong things about God. And it's making sex seem dirty instead of beautiful in the right context. And there's really this overemphasis on quote unquote, you know, virginity instead of teaching what God says about sexual morality, purity, what it represents. And when I say this overemphasis on virginity, I'm, I'm meaning that it can lead to this kind of thinking or ideology that you live this anything but life where you, you, you can do anything else sexual except have actual sex. And so it becomes sneaky. Yeah. It becomes really, um, legalistic yeah and really shameful and taking it to the limit right mm -hmm. right and and if we know what we know about god is you know that that's not how we're to live and that's actually not what purity means and even in matthew 5 jesus says you know blessed are the pure and heartful that they will see god and so this this passage even just shows you that purity is about more than sex it's also about your heart before god and so i think that we get sometimes so focused on just that word virginity and just that action. And we forget that purity is also so much more than that. And at the same time, to reject purity is wrong and harmful. I mean, God designed sex with purpose and there is really deep theological significance to his design. So I think we should start out with just defining purity. Um, purity means purified by fire. It means unstained with guilt of anything. It means free from corrupt desires. It's it's sincere. It's genuine. And just to preface, um, purity is not just for women. I know that sometimes it can feel like that, but men are also called to be pure. Um, Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? 
1 Timothy 4.12 says that all believers should conduct themselves in a pure manner. And 1 Thessalonians 4.7 says, For God has not called us to for impurity, but in holiness. So we see that this is for all believers. However, there's a really unique imagery that God uses that correlates to a woman's purity. And so we're going to go back to that. We're going to stick to that um, in this episode today. So going back to a woman's purity, a woman reflects who God is through her purity showing to the world that God is pure, that he is without defilement and nothing in him or about him is contaminated. Purity is not limited to just waiting to have sex until marriage. The significance is even deeper. Purity really reveals a part of who God is. And so I think when when we're having these conversations and you speak about these things in a trite way, is this trite that purity reveals a part of who God is? Absolutely not. It gives it greater significance, actually. It does. Mm-hmm. It totally does. Well, it's part of the why. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can have these rules without the why, and we need to give our young people a why. Because Absolutely. there's nothing in culture that's going to give them a why. We Absolutely. have to give them a why that's meaningful Absolutely. and true. And it just it, it gives so much value to who mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scripture uses this imagery over and over again of a virgin bride being presented before her groom on her wedding day. And that imagery, even that imagery just points to God's people being presented before God, right? Pure, undefiled, holy in heaven because Christ's blood has covered all of their sins. And so, and has covered and washed away all of our sins. And so um, this is the trite attitude around purity that I was talking about. It's, It's more than not having sex. Purity gives us a picture of the gospel, And so when you are single and you live pure, preparing to meet your husband, and if you're single and never get married, you're you're waiting for Christ, you are highlighting the gospel through your purity. That is deeply significant. Like, I I feel like sometimes we get caught up in, well, I just want a husband, I want a husband. Think about what you're displaying in waiting for your husband or waiting for Christ. You're displaying a, a part of who God is, his purity. And so we also hear how marriage highlights Christ's love for his church. But we, we neglect how singleness highlights the gospel with equal counterpart. And so purity really is something that starts on the inside. We know that our hearts are sick with sin. We need to be purified and cleansed from unrighteousness. We need, and we need Jesus to be pure. And so what toxic purity culture will tell you is that being sex positive, that's, that's another that's word. A, I'd never heard that before. Yeah, it, it, it basically just means that you can do whatever you want sexually with no judgment. Okay. Like where you're sex, you're sex okay. positive. Okay. Um, but they will tell you that being sex positive is freeing, is freeing, is sure. what they will tell you. Sure. And it will encourage you um, that the Bible hates sex. It condones that only women are supposed to be pure and that you need to get rid of all these toxic, oppressive rules. But 1 Corinthians 6 actually gives us a response to this kind of thinking. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the first thing it tells us to do is that we're to flee from any kind of action that would mar how the gospel is reflected through our purity. The second thing it tells us is that all other sins are outside our body, but but sex is something that happens inside your own body. So there's this unique um, emotional, physical, relational, really intimacy from sex that differs from other sins. 
And then third, your body is not your own. It's a temple. Oh, so this is very counterculture. Uh, yeah. What's everybody saying In now? In a my body, my, yeah. my body world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, your body is not your own. It's a temple. And so when you receive salvation, you are actually a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And so this picture... Um, was in a lot of ways really painful for me to think about just because of my past choices. But I thought of, um, you know, think of a holy sanctuary, the Holy of Holies from the Old Testament, like I talked about earlier, um, an altar, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, this this place where God lives, where he dwells. And then think of it being um, defiled or marred by your choice to participate in sexual immorality. And I, I'm putting myself here too, like this is me. And I'm not talking about abuse here. Um, that That is an evil that is not your fault. Um, I'm, I'm talking about a willing choice to live outside God's design for purity. And so that should really break our hearts. I know it breaks mine um, because the way that God designed sex was to showcase our value to him, that we are so loved and adored by Christ, that he bought us with his own blood. And so thinking about sex like that is not trite. <laughs> And, and it's good that we know what the depth of this means. Right. You right. know what I mean? I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, thank you, Delaney. It's it's so interesting to get the perspective of the different generations. And I feel you, you've really said that well, because we can have kind of a, uh, you know, just don't do it attitude and mm-hmm. hands off. And all of a sudden, it becomes all the more interesting to us, you know, yeah. when, when we're told that. So we have to be careful in when we say no that we say why. Mm-hmm. We have to know the why. Yeah. And you've given us some wonderful reasons why. It, it All of life, everything that we do reflects on who God is. So that is no different. Well, we're also doing a lot of redefining of God's design for sex. We know that he designed it for procreation. He designed it for intimacy and love and communication in a marriage. What does sexual immorality reveal about what we think about God? the immediate answer that comes to mind for me is that sexual immorality reveals a low view of God, Mm -hmm. a low view of the person or the people involved as well. Yeah. It also shows me we may not really believe God's word on the subject. Um, Or we may want to just pick and choose what we want to obey. You know, we can rebel and think God is mean. He's holding out on pleasure. I once heard a woman say to me, look, God wants me to enjoy sex. He wants me to enjoy my life. He created it. There's nothing wrong with it. She was not married. Yeah. Um, so we can rationalize that. We can rebel and think God is mean. You know, hey, he's holding out. Um, we don't like his authority in our private lives. That's And that's the a big part right mm-hmm. there. But nothing is private to God, Delaney. Mm-hmm. All we do is to reflect the glory of God, to reflect the character of God in every way. Sexual sin is putting our own lusts and gratification ahead of being obedient to God and his will for us. So it's really putting us mm. before what he has said. Mm-hmm. It also tells us that we're, uh, we are looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places, yes. as that song yep. would say. Mm-hmm. Only knowing Christ and his love and salvation for us will give us the love and the acceptance that we crave. Another question we have to ask here is, how has culture really um, messed up what sex is intended to be as God planned it? So what's happening is a lot of redefining of what God has ordained for us, and it's causing so much pain in so many lives. Today, our culture tells us there's no boundaries. 
If you have a desire, indulge it. Uh, all these different words that you named at the beginning here are all kinds of sexual perversions away from what God has planned for us. The, um, this really reveals a lack of respect for God, mm. of faith in God, love for God, his word, and his people. Now, in a situation like these, we can look into Scripture and see how multiple partners really brings much heartache. Did you know you could look into Scripture for that? Oh, big time. Yeah. There are multiple yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, especially when you read the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The kings in Israel were warned, do not take multiple wives. They'll turn your heart away from God. That was not God's intention for anyone to have multiple wives. Well, David, beloved David, the apple of the Lord's eye, had multiple wives, and his family truly suffered for it. David's own lust for Bathsheba brought death and suffering. David's sons repeated his sexual sins, and it tore the family apart and threatened David's rule as king. Then there's Solomon. He had a crazy number of wives. Thousands. Yes, which was really in that day a sign of wealth and power. But just as God had warned these foreign women, Scripture tells us specifically, these foreign women that he married turned his heart from God. When we do not follow God's design for marriage and sexuality, it will cause us to move away from God. And it causes such collateral damage to us and to others. So let's talk about a current trend that has increased in the last couple of decades, living together or cohabitating. In the last five decades, it has increased 900%. How is that possible? 900%. Yes, you heard that. Several years ago, statistics told us that in 70% of the marriages that are happening today, the couple have lived together first. That's actually, that's actually not surprising to me. Yeah. It's usually like, at least in like my generation, is like a you make that step before you get married and you you why you would never get married before living together like it no, would be unheard of I, I, this is this is how this has been um, really altered in such a negative way mm -hmm. um, so 70 percent but you know what I've noticed too I've noticed when I receive a wedding invitation I receive that it, it's from the couple's address yeah and you know they're living together mm -hmm. and that's where the RSVP goes um, it, but why why not what's the big deal they're, they're going to get married, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. It's, it's not saying yeah. engaged. It's living together. It's cohabitating. Yeah. Um, what ha What's wrong with this is that it detracts, first of all, from the joy and celebration of marriage. Yeah. I got to tell you, when I go to a wedding where I know they've been living together, I it takes something out of the joy, yeah. to tell you the truth. Well, and, it, and it's something that, you know, we also want to say that God can redeem. Like, you know, if you are living together... The, like God does call you to either end living together or to get married. And so um, I have several friends too, where it's like, they know that that next step is to be married. And so, um, and it, it, there's redemption in that, but it always comes with you. You have to submit to what the Bible says about this. And that's where we get tripped up is mm -hmm. we, we just want to continue doing what we want to do instead of what God's word says is right and good. Right. And this is what our culture is telling young couples today, that they have to make sure they're choosing the right partner. So they have to live together. To yeah, make it's sure. like a trial period. Yeah, right. Um, and parents, you know, these are people my age, seem to be increasingly approving of this living situation. I remember, I'm that old, that I remember when it used to be called living in sin. Mm -hmm. And 
now it's just cohabitation. It's living together. It's just, yeah, you know, it just, oh, it just makes sense, right? Um, but let's look at the many reasons this may not be good preparation for marriage. And after these reasons, we'll see how this reflects on God. First of all, living together does not include exclusivity or permanency. Sometimes I think we're fooled into thinking that, well, if I move in together, that's going to make the commitment greater. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true. Number two, um, this causes the individuals to hold back on any full commitment. Mm -hmm. So you're really giving all the goods and living in this type of situation without any kind of commitment, and that's scary. Statistics show that it doesn't guarantee a good marriage. Mm -hmm. And a woman's number one need is for security, mm -hmm. and that's not met mm -hmm. in a cohabitation situation. And in a cohabitation, you, you are not giving yourselves fully to one another, mm -hmm. and this undermines intimacy as well. So couples who live together actually have a 33% more risk of divorce. 20% of the women living with a man get pregnant in the first year they're together. Now, could this lead to what? More abortions, really, because they're not married. It could lead to that. Um, it also, you know, obviously, you know, we believe that every child is a joy, but, um, you know, you're, leaving, you're leading to a child that has split homes. Mm -hmm. And so that's also hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, you you know, that God's design. It's not ideal. It's no. not God's well, ideal and best not. for you. No, yeah. or, or for the child. Mm -hmm. And only one in two couples who are cohabitating ultimately marry. Hmm. Isn't Sweet. that an interesting? But, you know, I think, and especially women, I think we're, we can fool ourselves into thinking, well, if I do this next step, um, he'll surely commit to me. And I, I just don't think the statistics uh, bear that out. And also, this is really surprising, but a fast-growing number of seniors are opting for this as well. You know, it's less complicated. Mm -hmm. We've all got our own money. You've got your family. I got my yeah. family. We're on one end. You know, we're on Social Security or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're just going to live together. And it, it makes me sad. It makes me sad. Well, and I think people also, like, dumb down the intimacy of marriage because they're like, well, living together is cheaper. I'm saving money on rent. And it's like, but you're you're detracting from the true intimacy and value and uh, of marriage by doing exactly, that. Exactly. Um, it's easy to rationalize, and culture will say, bravo. Yeah. So you really have to know God's word. You have to know God's design for marriage. You have to want that, and you have to want the best for your life. Don't settle. You know, a lot of this is settling. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so here's the most important point when we talk about living together or cohabitation, why this, there's a problem with that. First of all, life is all about how it reflects God. And you made that point with your points mm -hmm. on purity. You know, look at how nature reflects God. The order of the universe reflects God's order and beauty and creativity and power. Love reflects who God is. And most of all, Jesus Christ reflects who God is. Now, the Bible reveals God as a covenant God. In other words, a promise maker, keeper God. This means he is wholeheartedly committed to his people. For better or for worse, when we are his, he does not abandon us. Living together is living without a covenant of marriage and distorts the meaning of marriage in a union of one man 
and one woman for life. So it's it's being in a union without the covenant, which does not give all the benefits that the covenant would. Mm, I like that you put it that way too, because we see so many covenants in the Bible and we don't always see marriage as a covenant. We see marriage as, well, it's the next step in our relationship and well, we can get divorced if we need to. And again, this is not a judgment. I am someone who is divorced. So this is not like a Um, judgmental thing. Like I have been there and there are certain situations that God has said, um, you know, you have biblical grounds for divorce. And so we're not saying that, but just what this represents is so important. And what culture has done is tried so hard to undermine God's design for this because of what it points to is so significant. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there are a lot of lies a yeah. lot of lives. We've identified some of them. And let's go over some more. Yeah. So we're going to go now through just like we just we compiled a list of culture's lies about sex. Um, the first one that I have is toxic purity is a lie. Now hear me out. Don't get me wrong. The church as a whole has not always done a great job teaching about sex or talking about sex. Sometimes we it feels like we either never talk about it or we talk about it using um, the white flower illustration where your virginity is like a white flower. And so if you have sex, the flower is dirty and then you're giving a dirty flower to your husband when you get married. Oh, I hate that. Um, I even cringe sometimes hearing the word purity because of all of these negative connotations. Um, yet God's word on sexual morality is really clear. Sex is to be between a husband and a wife only. And so here is why toxic purity is a lie. Because purity is not toxic. Pure is a description of who God and Christ is. Pure, holy, without sin. Why does it matter that Jesus is pure? If Jesus wasn't pure, he couldn't save us from our sin. Because Christ is pure, he is free from sin, and we can be too. Psalm 51.10 tells us, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So labeling purity as toxic is an attack on the gospel. This is what purity points to, whether married or single. It points to the purity of Christ. So that's why toxic purity is a lie, because purity is not toxic. Purity is an amazing thing. It's who God is. We are the ones that have made it wrong, or we've twisted it, or we've defiled it. What's the next lie, Bev? Well, the next lie is sexual orientation and fluid sexuality don't matter as long as I'm not hurting anyone. And we hear that in regard to all kinds of sexual sins. Well, I'm not hurting anyone. And that is a lie because it, it, most of all, it hurts something deep inside of you. Yeah. You give up something. You, it's, it, it is meant to be the most beautiful act between a husband and a wife, a sacred moment and when you are just using it in a, in a t- way that is not according to God's way, you are not going to feel good about it. You are going to f- go through feelings of being rejected, of being used, of uh, being guilty. I mean, we just can't sin against our own bodies like that and not feel um, hurt ourselves. And then you yeah. hurt other people as well. Yeah, that's such a lie, too, that you think that your sin doesn't hurt anyone. Sin has collateral damage. Absolutely. There is barely ever, if even ever, that you can sin and it doesn't hurt somebody else. And and if it's hurting you, that's a big deal too, you know? Yeah. Um, Next lie would be that um, sexual sin, it actually tells us a lie about God. 
So a follower of Christ who knows what God says about sex and chooses to rebel. So, you know, again, I've been in that camp before is saying that God is not trustworthy enough to believe what he actually says. When we choose to sin, we are rebelling against God. We are telling him that we know better than he does. And I'm excluding, you know, those who aren't followers of Christ on purpose because a lost person, you know, isn't held to that same standard as a found person. Um, But, I mean, we don't always see ourselves like as a follower of Christ, we're choosing to rebel when we're living this way. We've normalized this so much that we don't even see it as a rebellious act. Mm -hmm. So true. Another lie, Delaney, is that I can look at pornography and it's not immoral since I'm just looking and not doing. Also, along with this would be I'm not addicted. Those are lies because pornography is proven to be very addictive. And also it's, it is immoral because Jesus said when you look at a woman lustfully, you are committing adultery. You are committing sexual sin. So that just doesn't line up with scripture. And it it shows us that we're not supposed to view women like that. Mm -hmm. We aren't supposed to view women as just sexual objects, sexual beings. Like we're supposed to view women as our sisters in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's detracting from that. It is. Because we're just seeing them as things. Yeah. And people, I, I know there are marriages probably right now that who are listening that have this as an a third party in their marriage, yeah. and it's terrible, and it, it's, it causes a lot of pain and suffering, but there is help for this, and you can't suffer alone. Uh, if you can get the mm-hmm. right kind of help, mm-hmm. you know, go to your pastor. There's there's all kinds of great help you, for DM that. DM us on Instagram. We will help you get connected to the right kind of help. Like, you are not the only one who has struggled with this or has been in a marriage where your husband is struggling with and, this. And an alarming thing, too, Delaney, is it's not just men. Yeah. Women, Women um, Mm -hmm. are into pornography these days as well. Yes, absolutely. Another lie that we hear is we have to try out living together in order to see if we are compatible. And we talked a lot about that in in just um, a minute ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's another one? Um, It's my body. (laughs) This is, it's one of the biggest lies in our culture. Um, Whenever I think about this, I get upset because I I think about... um, Jesus suffering excruciating pain on a cross for my sin, the sin that I still commit. But yet he says, you are bought with a price. It's not your body. It's his. Like God created our body in our mother's womb. He fashioned us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He wants to be in relationship with us. He sent Christ to enable this relationship. And we still say it's my body. It's like a slap in the face. Like, no, sister, your body reflects Christ who bought you, who brought, he he brought you, honestly, from the brink of hell and death. It's not your body. If it was your body, that's honestly a scary thought. Because if it was my body, then I would still be on this brink. If Jesus hadn't bought me with a price, I would be in a really bad position right now. I wouldn't really have hope or a future. So it's good news, actually, that it's your body isn't your body because you have been bought with a Christ, been bought with a price, and you can be in relationship with God. And Christ has paid for that sin on the cross. And so I'm like, man, this it's my body thing is just, it's such a um, undermining of his grace and his sacrifice for us on the cross. Mm. You know? Next, next slide. Okay. Um, the Bible is okay with this. Um, recently, I had a conversation with a friend who, um, she was one of my last friends that had waited to have sex till she was married. 
And um, after talking with her, she told me, she said, um, you know, I actually looked in the Bible and I prayed about it and I felt like God was okay with me having sex. (laughs) That was an interesting conversation. Um, But even from the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account, um, we see Adam and Eve's marital relationship before sin. And, and this is what it says. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is Genesis 2.24. So you become one flesh through sexual intimacy with your spouse. And from the beginning, the order for sex was established. When a man and woman are married, that's, that's what it means when it's like you're, you're leaving your father and mother, you have this marital and sexual intimacy with, with your spouse. And there are many other passages about this, a lot of which we've talked about today. Um, but even from the beginning, God prescribed his design for sex through the marriage relationship. And so when I heard this, it, it just hurt my heart because I'm like, literally, it's right in Genesis 2, right from the very beginning. But it goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier, Rev. If we want to do something, we will make the Bible say whatever it wants. Yeah, it can't. It, we'll twist you can it. Twist. You can we'll twist, twist it. And you can ignore and you can pick and choose. Delaney, did you know that when you have sex with an individual, Oxycontin, how do you say Oxycontin. that? Oxycontin. Not, is, is released. It? Is released. Yes. Oxycontin? And other, mm-hmm, that's wow. a natural hormone in our body. Oh, okay. And other hormones are released as well. And what that is meant to do is meant to bond you to that person. Yeah. So having indiscriminate sex, you are you are making scars on your soul with all these indiscriminate yes. people. And this this hormone was meant to be for a marriage relationship to give you a solid relationship. Now, at the same time with that, and that's scientific, so that's like fact, but I was told too that if you have sex before married, you won't be able to have sexual intimacy and have that intimate bond with your husband. And we also know that that's not true because God's a redeemer and he's a restorer. So it doesn't mean that you are not going to be able to have that at all. We're just saying that you're marring the design for that. And for some women, that is something they do experience, but it's not like a, um, you're not going to have that because I just remember that's what I was told. And we know that God can redeem that and he can restore that and he can bring that purity back. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what happens is you, you can't have sex with an individual and be totally neutral. Right. Totally. Um, And that's, you know, friends with privileges. I've heard that term. Have you heard that? Friends with benefits. Benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See, I'm really out of it. Well, here's another lie. The body is separate from the spirit. So I can do what I want with my body, but still be a committed Christian. Um, that is really Gnosticism. That says that uh, my spirit is separate from my body. My body, what I do with my body, doesn't make any difference. And that is really, really old, that thinking. Um, that is not true because our bodies are a representation of, of God's handiwork on us. Um, our body is a, a vehicle of the Holy Spirit, and it's not separate. Our body and our spirit are one. We are uh, a, a, a temple a temple you're a believer spirit temple. right mm-hmm. what else Dale? another um, lie <clears throat> next time love makes it okay oh yeah so this is just a lie we hear for all reasons in culture right now but um i we we know as believers that god is the standard of love right like even in his word he says it says god is love and we also know that god is the standard of truth so this lie really doesn't tread water because um, how can a God who is the epitome of love and the epitome of truth um, 
have this thing that doesn't that doesn't coexist. Like if you if God is the standard of love and he's the standard of truth and he's telling you that this is his design, that doesn't make sense that love would just make it okay. So what? Then he's not truthful? In a recent sermon, um my dad said that culture is not more loving than God's word. Whew, that was so good. Culture is not more loving than God's word. We have really believed the lie that God, that the God who created us loves us less than his sinful creation. So we can't misconstrue God's rejection of a behavior as a rejection of his love for you. He is both love and he is, he is truth simultaneously. And he's the standard for both. Absolutely. Another lie, Delaney, is if we have sex, there will be greater commitment. Um, just, okay, I, more like greater pain. <laughs> Sorry. But, like, as anyone who's, like, if you've had sex and then you go through a breakup, um, I can tell you that that hurts ten times worse than when you don't. Of course, of course, um, It it While you may think you can use sex in that way, um, outside of marriage, that won't, it really doesn't work. It just continues the pain. Another lie is you are old-fashioned and will be canceled if you believe and live your sex life by God's specifications. In other words, you are just not cool. You're archaic. You're not cool. Yeah. And that's a lie. That's a lie. Um, We can't take our cues about our sexuality from culture. We have to take it from God. Yeah, and and we don't want our thinking to be aligned with cultures like that. No, and it's really hard these days because... Wherever you look, every TV show has a, a gay couple now kissing. I mean, every commercial has something about that. I mean, it's, some people are always living together. There's yes, always yes. something. It's mm-hmm. everywhere. It's just prevalent. Yeah, it's prevalent. So you have to um, keep coming back to the word uh, and what God says. And another lie is I can use my body in marriage to punish <laughs> instead of build with. Sometimes mm. wives will and husbands will withhold from the spouse in order to control them. Mm -hmm. And that, that isn't good. We're told in the scriptures to not to withhold from our spouse. We're told to be, you know, generous unless we're taking a season of prayer and fasting. Yeah. I I don't think that's usually the reason that is. It's, it's not to be a weapon. Mm -hmm. It's to be really a tool to build our marriage and not a weapon. And I think if your spouse is struggling with this, um, there's probably like a deep woundedness in them that is, um, just there's this this barrier typically sex is just a manifestation of what's going on in our heart and so um that's also something to seek help um seek help like there are married couples in our church who have been married a long time that can help you through this counselors like so just also keep that in mind that there it is we do we can use it as like a weapon but sometimes there's this this deep thing going on in your spouse and we need to be aware of that yes hurt Yes. Um, sometimes when a man or woman has been hurt, they have issues with sex and they, and they have to be healed of that before they can fully enjoy the gift God has given them. Absolutely. Um, another lie is if I have had sex, I'm ruined and dirty. Um, so if, if purity really is about more than sex and if purity means that we are without stain and, ble- and blemish, so that would be known sin, then none of us are really actually pure. Um, whether we've had sex before marriage, outside of marriage or not. Sin has made us all dirty, not just those who have lived outside of God's design for sex. So don't believe the lie um, that you should live in shame, that you are ruined, that you are dirty. Um, Because Christ forgives our sin and he makes us pure and Jesus' purity enables our purity. And because when God looks at us and he sees the purity of his son. So if you feel that way, Lord, we just ask right now that you would um, 
that this sister that is listening to this would just feel your forgiveness that you've already given her through your son and that you would just release her from the bondage of shame because that is not your will for her. Well, there's many more lies that we could go over, but we're going to leave it there, Delaney. All these lies, what can happen, though? They can wear a person down, and pretty soon you kind of just throw up your hands and you go with the flow. Sex, like so many other beautiful and good things, have been marred by sin. Satan loves to take God's good gifts and make them a weapon forged against us and against God. So why does sex matter to God? A sexual relationship is meant to reflect the relationship with God. It's not about us. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 5 says it represents Christ and the church. Look at the gospel and the sacrificial love and commitment God has made to us. Sexuality is for pleasure, bonding, reflecting the Lord. He has given us this gift of sex, and we are to use his instructions in its use. I just want to leave the listeners with an illustration Picture, if you will, a fireplace. It's a cold night. The fireplace is on. The fire is roaring in the, in the hearth. What happens if that fire gets out of the hearth? It will burn your house down. This is what happens in sex. Sex is to be kept in the fireplace of marriage. This is where it is, uh, its purpose is. This is where it's going to have its greatest fulfillment. This is where you have um, God's plan unfolding in your life, when it's in the hearth of marriage. Otherwise, it's like a fire that goes through a house and destroys. So just with that word, Delaney, would you pray for us before we finish this conversation? Absolutely. Lord, I thank you so much that your design for sex is um, intentional and purposeful. I thank you so much um, just for your, that you want what's best for us and that you're trustworthy and that we can trust what your word says about what is best. I pray for the sister listening. Um, if she's experiencing any shame because of her sexual decisions, God, we just ask that you would release her from that. Lord, we thank you that Christ has forgiven us on the cross. And so forgiveness has covered, his forgiveness has covered all of our sins. We pray for the sister who maybe um, has been taken advantage of sexually. Lord, we ask that you would just come alongside her with your supernatural comfort, healing, and protection. God, we ask that you would just break any bondage from her and that she would be able to heal in your name, Jesus. We just ask, Lord, that you um, that we would just be able to think about sex and about these things coming from the angle of love and truth, and that we would be able to balance those and we'd be able to engage in conversations with our culture about these things and do them all with the love and compassion of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, I, it was great. Wow, I just forgot our outro. I've done this in a lot of times. Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.